This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow uh, featuring myself, Hank Spaulding, and Kyle Myers. Uh, we're back together. How are yeah, you doing, Kyle? We are. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yeah. How was your break? Uh, well, I had, you know, recovered from my back injury over break, which uh, was fine. Um, doing doing better with that and no real illness. Our holidays, uh, last Easter and Christmas before that and Thanksgiving were all mm-hmm. um, uh, very impacted by COVID. So we had a Christmas that was not impacted by COVID, which was nice. That's excellent. Yep. That's excellent. Well, um, I gave a little bit of my uh, rear, year, year end in review in my um, MacGuffin a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember promising people that when we got back together, you would do that. But then I remembered you already did that on our last podcast. Yeah, sure. Are there any other episodes? I know that you mentioned Pig um, and a few others that kind of made it in your top list. Of the, is there anything that maybe you squeezed in before the new year? Because um, we didn't really get together um, before the new year. Yeah, that's um, true, man. Is there anything in 2021 that you were uh, maybe made the list the last moment? Uh, well, definitely. I mean, we just mentioned this uh, licorice pizza okay. uh, in conversation a few minutes ago, and I think yeah, that one is. I've seen that twice now, and and certainly a uh, just kind of out of nowhere different kind of movie that uh, is not made uh, very often anymore, and kind of romantic and um, and very just heartfelt Paul Thomas Anderson. So yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think that for listeners, you know, that I've been promising a review of it. I think we're actually going to do a collab on that since um, since Kyle's already seen yeah, it. Yeah, so that's be great. We'll, we'll do that together. I, I couldn't get in Rocket Man. That's something I've been looking forward to, kind mm. of an art house film. And it's a really interesting storyline, um, but I think there's some good stuff in there, and I, I was going to look into that. But um, Yeah, the Sean Baker movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm... Very much not a Sean Baker fan, so oh, that would okay. be a good discussion okay. too. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I, maybe I should try and see if I can get it, and uh, we get we get a battle a little bit. I know yeah. we've got a we've got a, um, a Terrence Malick battle coming, so that's yeah, good. that's right. But without further ado, um, I'd love to introduce our, our new segment, kind of um, here at the beginning of the show. We're gonna do this most of the time when we get together, and it's uh, just called uh, "What Are You Watching?" and so. I know that you've watched some things recently. I've watched some things recently. Uh, what's one thing you're watching that you'd recommend that people go see? Well, yeah, um, Tragedy of Macbeth that mm. is uh, made by one of the Coen brothers mm. with their first movie not working together, which is interesting. Um, and a fairly short adaptation, I would say maybe the shortest Macbeth adaptation that, that I've seen. Very, very visual mm-hmm. um, in old studio kind of way and some really amazing ways of visualizing the story mm-hmm. um, but I also felt um, there wasn't enough of the Shakespeare of the Macbeth that you typically get from a fuller adaptation of mm-hmm. the kind of wrestling um, and contending with himself and and to me it's felt a little spiritually vacant um, compared to how I usually experience the story mm-hmm. um, but visually it's amazing and certainly a worthwhile endeavor mm-hmm. just to see Denzel Washington uh, do Shakespeare it's awesome yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, that one is out to rent if you would like um, in some early release formats. And so, what are you what are you watching? We recommend Macbeth. So uh, always, absolutely. Well, jumping right in, this is kind of our long-awaited Joker episode. We we ran a poll on Twitter, and we'll pop up another one here uh, in a couple months or so, just because we've got a full slate ahead of us that takes us right into the summer, and we'll get into that at the end of the show. But. Um, we uh, we put a poll up and to see what kind of show or movie you would like to see us cover. And today we've got the Joker, uh, two thousand nineteen film. Is that right? Eighteen. Two thousand nineteen. Nineteen. Wow, it feels like forever ago. Yep. Um, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix um, as the Joker. Um, and I just kind of want to give a little backdrop. This one is uh, interesting because it was DC is kind of moving away from more of a shared universe approach and doing more episodic films um, they're still kind of seen as within the same universe but they're doing a few that are outside of their main kind of extended universe this joker film the new batman film coming up they'll be different but um, this one draws heavily from uh, the comics specifically uh, the killing joke if you are a comic person you'll know that um, it's also was made into a um, an animated film uh, starring um, mark hamill mm-hmm. Uh, as the Joker, which is he's a great Joker, and Kevin um, Con, uh, Conway is um, as uh, the Batman. 
character. And he's the uh, Walking Phoenix now is I think one of our we've got Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto, and Walking Phoenix. And so we've got we've had a few live action um, versions of this. But is there any kind of comic book adaptations? I don't I, I know that you kind of have delved into this a little bit, but any kind of themes from comics that you're seeing here in this adaptation of the Joker? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Killing Joke, which primarily takes the I I was trying to be a comedian, not funny comedian, uh, that didn't work out. But then Killing Joke goes into more of what you see in 1989 Batman uh, when he falls into the chemicals and becomes the Joker that way. Mm-hmm. So you've got that mm-hmm. happening. Um, and but yeah, not a lot outside of because you know this movie he's primarily becoming the Joker. So there's this infinite amount of suffering and struggling going on. Right. And you barely get around to um, him actually being the Joker in the you know Batman universe as it as it is. But the other thing that the other big reference is from The Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, written by Frank Miller. Yes. Um, and there's a scene uh, when he's in a, at a talk show, a David Letterman kind of talk show yeah. inspired. Uh, where he he pulls a prank that's devastating to everyone in in the studio there, mm-hmm. uh, so that was you know certainly related to to that one. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I feel like the people at Warner Brothers just took the Dark Knight Returns and they're just like, this is all we're gonna do with Batman. Um, right, no doubt. The, the, and I mean, I guess the Joker too in that regards. Uh, do you have a favorite live action Joker out of the ones that um, that have been around? I mean. Cesar Romero is obviously the very classic Adam West version and Joaquin Phoenix, you know, and everything in between. Do you have a favorite out of any of those? Yeah, I mean, I think Heath Ledger primarily because I like the way um, that they they kind of mess with the backstory, which isn't a new thing uh, to kind of have an unreliable – Joker's an unreliable narrator about his own background. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, he's giving a number of different stories about how he became the Joker – yeah. Um, you know, or who the Joker is. And, and to, from that standpoint, puts him more in the category, as we discussed in our first podcast, Michael Myers and just this kind of uh, beyond human being into, and even beyond psychotic, just into like pure evil, you mm, know, yeah. who um, cannot, who exists primarily for evil purposes. It's more of a screw tape kind of character oh, yeah. um, bent on um batman becoming you know truly dark himself Mm -hmm. um and so it's like an external um vision of batman's own inner demons joker always seems to play yeah and i mean the the comics have really taken that to an extreme recently with the the batman who laughs which has been kind of a recent uh, batman adaptation where batman kind of um gives into the madness of the Joker and actually becomes the Joker. He kills the Joker and becomes the Joker. And so now the Batman is kind of like a, a vigilante Joker, much darker, right. much more violent. So it's really interesting to see what the comics are doing with this stuff. But I, yeah, Heath Ledger, I got to say, is my favorite too. There's a, uh, a former student of mine, uh, shout out Michael Perry, uh, who said that if I thought that Joaquin Phoenix was was not as good as, as Heath Ledger, then I was out of my mind. But I don't know. I just feel like the criminal mastermind piece, the, just the, um, the violence, the... I mean, a truly terrifying character and really kind of like the, the chaos to Batman's order. In some sense, like the, the pairs of opposite of Batman and, and the Joker, like, like they're kind of this, like it's a dualism in the, in the comics. And in some sense, I mean, obviously Batman 89 with um, Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton, like you did have something like what happens in this movie too, where the Joker is responsible in, in some way for killing Bruce's parents. Um, it's not actually Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but um, it kind of right. sets up that kind of feel, which is interesting. Yeah, but, it's very similar for sure. But it's the first time, I mean, I'm sure there's others because I'm not as knowledgeable about comics or um, TV shows or things like that. I mean, that you have a Joker where there really isn't a Batman. I mean, the closest might be something like the Suicide Squad, but Batman was in that one, you know? Like, so I don't know if that necessarily counts. And I mean, there's right. comics and everything, but. Well, I, it is, it is a, yeah. I mean, a bit of a nihilistic exercise. Yeah. Um, and even with the Venom movies, right, in the Spider-Man universe, oh, yeah. which are just trying to, you know, <laughs> figure out a way to make movies in the meantime while Spider-Man is being borrowed, I guess, or whatever. But yeah, um, right. but even those are more playful and and um, and ridiculous, where this one obviously 
uh, probably takes itself way too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I, I always, I mean, I always kind of liked the darker tone um, and things like that. I didn't mind the, um, I mean, I do think the Miller version of, of the Dark Knight is just very interesting. But I mean, I always liked the the Dark Knight trilogy that was done by Nolan and things like that. But sure. Um, yeah, kind of moving into the story, um, you know, one of the things that this movie kind of brings up, since it is different but borrows a lot from comics, but, you know, who is the Joker? Like, that's an interesting question. If he's if he's so necessarily tied to Batman, which in a lot of the adaptations he is, the Joker is kind of a really interesting um, character because he sees himself as needing Batman. Yeah, right? very co- codependent, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And there's actually this really great independent version of batman that was made by this small studio called bat in the sun called dying is easy um which i would i mean i would recommend highly everyone check out uh this because it's it's more of like a dialogue between batman and the joker and it's they kind of play into like the detective version of of batman and in that movie um the joker um is dying right and he's kind of confessing his his need and desire of batman and batman's actually manipulating him for, for a particular kind of reason in that one. So anyway, check that one out. It's a, it's a short movie. They did. They ran a Kickstarter and did it. But it, it highlights that kind of codependency. Yep. As well as Lego Batman yeah, movie right. is a very hilarious version of yeah. their codependency, which I really appreciate. That Yeah, you know, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. But you're right. That's that's actually perfect. I mm-hmm, love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, who is the Joker? Like, who would you say the Joker is, um, Kyle? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I think it's going back to his representation of evil on one hand, and there's this image at the end of the Dark Knight Returns animated movie uh, where Joker essentially kills himself, but then uh, Batman, for reasons of uh, creating a a distraction, uh, creates fire and it burns up the Joker, and there's this image of him just all being burnt up and looking purely, you know, evil. Um, even though he's he's dead and that and so anyways that image really stuck out to me as like this is you know really who the Joker is mm-hmm. what he has to offer, um, and then again yeah going back into that visualizing of you know what Batman is constantly contending with inside of himself of uh, wanting to be this agent of justice who's not giving in to revenge and who's not giving in to his darker side of becoming this villain as the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy does a good job of extracting like, you know, Batman existing has drawn out these weird characters, Mm -hmm. um, you know, into, into the, the universe, into Gotham, Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't necessarily exist before, you know, he got there. Mm -hmm. Um, but the Joker is certainly the, the ultimate one who's just bent on, uh, again, in a very screw tape layers kind of way of finding any way necessary to to get Batman to to fold, and so it always creates me. And even the fact you said that in the comics they finally have gone into that territory where he does kill Joker, and he becomes Joker um, in whatever kind of way is fascinating because I guess there's really nowhere else left to go other than keep repeating the same cycle. Uh, but it also is like you know uh, things continue to get darker and. And I think that's what comics and movies think that we want. Right, yeah. Right. But I think the <laughs> my favorite story, ultimately, I think it's the Jason Todd story. Jason Todd's the second Robin right, yeah. uh, who was killed by the Joker. Um, and then when Jason Todd is resurrected, and there's a number of different stories around how that happened. Um, but Jason Todd <clears throat> was already kind of a, a more aggressive Uh, assertive version of Batman in his youth and was always, you know, getting himself into trouble with with Batman and not listening and not doing those things. But Batman had compassion on him because of his own story. Mm. Um, And, but Todd was, you know, difficult to manage, ended up getting killed and coming back was upset with Batman for not uh, necessarily, not that he didn't save Jason Todd, but that he didn't get revenge on Joker for having mm-hmm. killed Jason. So yes. it cra- brings up a, a whole other, you know, dilemma for them. Um, and, and continues to express, um, just what Batman is battling. So I thought that was one of the best versions of, um, Joker really getting that close to Batman of mm-hmm. pushing him over the edge. Yeah, that is a, that's a fantastic story. And, uh, for, for you video game fans out there, that's the, that's a story they kind of, uh, pursue in the Arkham, series um if that's something you're interested mm-hmm. in but 
Yeah, that's a that's such a fantastic story. That's the one I would have picked too. So that's unfortunate. But hey, we agree. No, on it's all good. Yeah, it's, it's great. Good. Of course, that's, it's good. That's, that's a good story. Um, I you know the thing I, I if I add one, I also kind of like the Flashpoint version of Joker because the inverse happens, and instead of uh, Joker killing, uh, or at least the person killing Bruce Wayne's parents, you have the this this murder of Bruce Wayne himself, and the parents themselves become kind of mad. The Joker is actually Bruce Wayne's mom and the batman becomes uh thomas wayne yeah and so it's very interesting to kind of see those stories and I, that's the thing i think i like about comics um more so than movies because now there's an expectation that your adaptation has to extend across multiple movies and don't get me wrong i love that in terms of shared universes that's that's great but you know the problem is is that you know that you have this war between so now pattinson's batman but you still have affleck and keaton's back in the mix and so um, there isn't less of a freedom to kind of tell these multiple different versions of the Joker. Um, and here we do have one. I mean, the one, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker is very different from Heath Ledger, uh, very different from Jack Nicholson, you know, and Cesar Romero. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know what exactly <laughs> is happening with Jared Leto, but I, I, I do enjoy it in some sense. Like I thought that it's, um, it has some interesting pieces and I know Jared Leto really enjoyed um, that character a lot, but yeah, let's, so let's dive in. I mean, I'm going to kind of kick us off here with, um, it's an interesting story, just like, as Kyle said, of the development of the Joker, lots of suffering, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a heavy emphasis here on, on mental health. And, you know, I know that, Kyle, you are the mental health expert. I didn't know, like, what, what are your thoughts on kind of the ways in which they depict mental health in this one? Because obviously the Joker, um, the character who is, um, wow, I'm forgetting his name here, uh, Arthur. Oh, Arthur. Yeah. Arthur, yep. uh, Arthur uh, Fleck, right? Yep. Yeah, Arthur Fleck. And wow, that's a, that's a failure of the notes. Um, I don't know where I put that down. But anyway, so he's uh, the, kind of one of the opening scenes is he's in the hospital talking to a, a therapist whom he seems to think isn't really listening to him. And you find that out later. But anyway, yeah. How do you feel about how this film depicts mental health? Yeah, well, <clears throat> it really... Um, is I think there's a number of films that um, do that well in terms of portraying mental health. And this one, it's just a, to me, it almost feels like exploitation of mental health in that, you know, this character constantly just has one barrier after the other. Um, and it's setting up that way. One, it's, you know, predictable. That's mm -hmm. part, of, part of the issue uh, is it's very predictable where this is going. And then it's just, you know, um, painful. And it's not, there's no, uh, it's, uh, at best sympathetic, like I feel sorry for this person, but there's no bridge between me and him and what he's going through because it's just insufferable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it might as well be a Holocaust movie um, in terms of the suffering that he's continuing to experience. And they, <clears throat> but there's no real psychology around it either. Uh, it's just abuse and revelation of more abuse um, and not, you know, working this out and, and being in these um, uh, very set up situations for him to, you know, suffer more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of um, things to actually really grapple with in terms of actual depression or suicide or psychotic symptoms or, or whatever. And I find it to be dehumanizing ultimately, where if you're doing it well, like it can be humanizing uh, and, and cultivate empathy um, and hopefully give people hope through, you know, the character that you're experiencing. But this is obviously not that. And then the worst part of the exploitation here is that ultimately he becomes a hero oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. in his uh, psychotic, full-on full psychotic state. Um, he's made to be a hero in this uh, other Alan Moore graphic novel, V for Vendetta, has a oh, lot yeah. of the... <laughs> They're all wearing Joker masks. It's very much Occupy Wall Street. Rich people are the enemy. So, you know, it's bringing in all of that kind of, again, class, classism kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's just ugly. Yeah. Is there a depiction just kind of, and I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but, you know, you mentioned that there can be redemptive, like, pictures of mental health. Mm -hmm. um, do you have, like, something that you would juxtapose it? So if this is exploitive, what is the kind of redemptive, um, like, uh, maybe like something that you could that like a, a viewer could watch and compare with the Joker and say, okay, here's a more redemptive view of mental health that invites us in to this space. Cause I think you're right. There's like an exploitation and just to kind of add a little bit to this, there's an interesting kind of like 
I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it seems like there was always like a an African American woman at the heart of the mental health struggle. Mm-hmm. So like the first sure. the first psychiatrist is um, African American. The 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 last person who's interviewing him when he's detained is African American. Um, the kind of person he has that a, elaborate fantasy with the woman um, who stays lives mm-hmm. in his apartment. Sure, um, African American. And so there's again it, it's it's exploitative, and then it also has these really weird overtones but do you have like something that would maybe to give a little bit more of the opposite in your opinion yeah no for sure i mean i think two uh recent uh riz ahmed movies and i think i mentioned this one in our last podcast um encounter Mm -hmm. uh, which is on amazon and again presents itself as a science fiction movie but really it's about him dealing with his own trauma and post-traumatic stress yeah uh in relationship to his children who he's essentially kidnapped Mm-hmm. Um, and a whole thing kind of unfolds from there, but um, ultimately gives a much more um, humanizing and uh, I would say even hopeful ending. The ending was very important in that one. And then also he uh, portrays a character in a movie called Sound of Metal mm-hmm. um, where he loses his hearing, but he's already a, you know, he's been four years sober from addiction. Mm-hmm. And upon losing his hearing, which is another loss for him, he's really contending with mm-hmm. uh, what to do next. And he ends up in a rehab kind of place um, to navigate all of that. So you mm-hmm. get to see him in real time. So I think he does a great, I mean, as an actor, a great job of really bringing humanity to that experience, mm-hmm. um, which is impressive in its own way. Um, but you really get a sense of that experience and you're also just not overwhelmed by it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the other one I was thinking is, you know, any of the Van Gogh movies. I mean, Van Gogh is a great source of oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody who really struggled with mental illness at a time when there was really no treatment um, around and how he, you know, dealt with his uh, sufferings and, and sometimes is upheld a little bit too much as like the, the great suffering artist, you know, starving artist. Um, but he obviously suffered. And I think the movies that depict him put you into that, you know, that place, but also, uh, through his work, his art, his life, his Mm -hmm. perspective, spiritual perspective, um, give you something to like really hold on to. Yeah. Okay. So those are some good counterpoints that you might consider because I mean, mental health is, and I mean, disability and all kinds of different ways, uh, things that are depicted in films can present both positively and negatively. And the Joker here is kind of interesting. Now, holding up that kind of mental health piece too. um, I mean, there's a lot of other things going on here because first of all, this is, this is like a a mess of kind of three stories that they're trying to tell here at once. This kind of comes, um, um, this kind of comes out at a time, um, of general uh, political unrest um, as well. And I mean, leads into another period of general political unrest, but then you're also telling the story of the Joker, um, which is mixed in there. And then you add in this mental health piece. There's a lot of different things going into this. Um, The Waynes are a really interesting group Mm -hmm. of people that are depicted in this film. Um, And I know that uh, this is something that historically Batman has been kind of, you know, critiqued for is that he seems to beat up poor people to save rich people um and in some sense i think dc's comics kind of response to that is is the green arrow who does the opposite um and it's it's interesting because i mean you see that just to kind of push that that one just bracket that for a moment um the waynes here you have thomas wayne who's presented um through the eyes of arthur and his mother as this kind of deceitful kind of corrupt person it doesn't really come around to that. You don't really know, but you, it, it brings up this idea, this philosophical idea of perception, um, mm-hmm. which ha- has its role also in, in um, psychology and mental health as well. But I think of like philosophers like in the 20th century, like uh, Merleau-Ponty, and then also you got the Scottish realists before them. Like, what does it mean to witness a reality? And so to Joker, the Arthur, uh, sorry, to Arthur Wayne, Arthur is uh, the Joker, mm-hmm. Thomas Wayne is um this person who is his dad who's not owning up to it you know for the longest time he, he eventually finds out um a little bit more of the story from his mother's kind of mental health uh document or like the the kind of the dossier that she he gets from the hospital but thomas wayne is this politician who's running for office and uh is portrayed as corrupt and perceptibly and it kind of sets up this understanding of like the difference between classes right you've got the poor working class and you've got the thomas waynes of the world you do see young bruce in the film 
um, as, as well as Alfred Pennyworth in, mm. in that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you do get to see some of these characters, but uh, and then eventually, even at the end, you do have the Batman origin right there. Sure. With the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne, um, right during kind of the riots as they're reaching the Joker riots as they're reaching their fever pitch. But yeah, uh, what do you make of this? Um, do you, what do you think of the the way that they portray the Waynes in this film? Yeah, I mean, I think I hate it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. again, you know, again, from the perception of a pow very powerless, you know, self-pity kind of character um, who is constantly looking. I mean, it just in terms of classism, it doesn't do a good job of nuancing any of that. It's all the system is bad and it's rich people's fault. Um, and it's, just, you know, all that uh, typical uh, stuff you'd see on the Internet, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of blame. And so Thomas Wayne also gets dehumanized and all that, where in other stories he's an inspiration to Batman uh, for being somebody who's trying to do the right thing with his wealth and figure that out and, and what Bruce is going to do with that and whatever. Um, and so I think that that's just, a, again, an unfortunate uh, miss in any uh, movie like that. The actual, again, even V for Vendetta uh, adaptation done by the Wachowski brothers as well. And all of anything that's separating, you know, those things out, um, mm -hmm. it ultimately, again, isn't building any bridges and isn't giving us any real perspective that we can't find on the internet mm -hmm. or find in our own insecurity, which is where, you know, blaming other people comes oh, yeah. from, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it works for their narrative to a certain extent to, again, you know, give Arthur new ways of hating himself mm -hmm. uh, and feeling hated and rejected by the world. Yeah, um, that's true, yeah. But, yeah, but it doesn't really do anything for the, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The the I mean, I, I totally agree. The first thing I think about, because the film does a great job of kind of, I think, narrating you or ushering you into the way that, he um arthur sees thomas wayne especially his mom but there's that kind of interaction that they have together um in the restroom where it's like this doesn't seem to be actually all lining up or even in the um the interaction with alfred pennyworth and and it's interesting because on top of that like you do have the nolan version where that thomas wayne was kind of like sterling you know that thomas and martha wayne were just like the best possible kinds of people yeah and it's interesting because as we're transitioning into the batman um which is the robert pattinson um uh, film that's mm -hmm. coming out soon there's and at least in the trailers that we've gotten so far there is a sense in which that version of batman is actually being critiqued it seems like for his lack of philanthropy mm. which is unlike his parents as they as they say it so it's always portrayed that the waynes are these kind of um philanthropists it's interesting that in this film he is a politician in other films he's been a doctor right yep. or something like that and i mean thomas wayne has been a whole host of things businessman that kind of thing um, Batman For sure. even in Flashpoint. But I wonder, I mean, obviously I don't know what the intentions of the film directors and things like that. I'm wondering what kind of light this is attempting to cast. Like, is this really a critique of the rich or is this really a critique of those, the unnuanced opinions that you're trying, that you that you highlight really well? Because there's, I mean, they kind of come out and say it. There's a bunch of these signs that, that are uh, in the film that just say kill the rich. Right? Yeah, right, right. And so if, if the lack of nuance is, is right there. <laughs> no doubt. It's so, no doubt. It's so interesting <laughs> to think about that because, like, for example, the um, I love the idea of, like, The Dark Knight Rises, the, that film. They do something similar in terms of their critique of the rich, but it's, it's clothed, like, I think it's clothed in this idea of, like, trying to expose every human's own will to power. Sure. Um, which I think is, I mean, I think that's a really interesting story because, you know, Bane overturns the, the rich's power in order to give it to the people so that they can become rich. But the point that Bane is doing that is not to do what the Joker's doing and, and kill all the rich. He, he wants to do that in order to, um, you know, kill everybody yeah, because for sure. all of them are corrupt. Yeah. Right. That's the point. <laughs> and, that, and I think that's the, I think, I think that's helpful. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, well, I'm <clears throat> jumping back in my mind here a second. Yeah. So I was tracking then going into the Nolan universe. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. But I think, um, so one, I mean, in 2019, um, obviously, like, this, you know, Thomas Wayne is a stand-in for Donald Trump, if nothing yeah. else, um, which is fine. Like, I don't have any problem, you know, again, having these kind of discussions around politics and money right. and the system and wealth. Um, those are things we obviously should be talking about, but it's yeah, just, definitely. 
um, in a movie that do- isn't talking about that, right? It's not talking about it. It's just portraying it. Mm, right. And feeding into this, what I think <clears throat> is coming from more extremist, secular, left ideology that does not include things like the gospel. Um, and that I can tolerate with, you know, liberal Christianity, even uh, if we're coming from that standpoint, but just purely from secular left ideology that, that is being projected here, which is funny coming from Todd Phillips, who, you know, was a producer on and director of the Hangover movies. All right. Yeah. Um, that all together made over a billion dollars, and he's taking in, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. from that himself. And so it's just very like, what, is, what does it mean for a super wealthy person? Uh, to be depicting the rich as the problem and evil, you know, in your movie. Like, what's where's there's such a huge disconnect there mm-hmm. um, of what story? Are you, why are you why are you telling this story? Uh, there must be some real objective distance for you to present it um, because you're as wealthy as any. You know, you're part of the super rich mm-hmm. yourself. So, what is the point that you're trying to to make um, in making? Arthur Joker, a, a hero of the uh, less fortunate, um, and and the call to rioting and looting and and destruction. You know, yeah. like what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think the challenge is that, and we'll get into this in a little bit because, like the there's it's not the first movie that's ever depicted kind of a revolutionary mm-hmm. kind of rising. No, and, for sure, and, and even inspiring like chaos and violence and looting. Um, but like the the virtue that is being upheld, like to what end, right? Looting to what end? Violence to what end? Like all of these are depicted in movies all the time. And so uh, the Joker um, seems to embody, and I mean this is I think true to his character. The word that I associate with the Joker is chaos, um, which I mean that's Heath Ledger sure. and things like that. But I still think that's true to who the Joker is. The Joker is there just to sow chaos in order to draw Absolutely. Batman into these conflicts and things like that too. But I mean, in some sense, this is a weak nihilism that is at play in this version of the Joker. Because on the one hand, like he he does say very explicitly, "I don't believe in anything." Right. Like he says that in the film. Like and right. So he's trying to like. I mean, that's that's like what a sophomore says whenever they think about nihilism <laughs> and things like that. But he also has this joke book that I find very intriguing, and I'm mm-hmm. a little disappointed you don't get to see more of it, mm-hmm. which is um, interesting because like that seems to be the central motivation. He carries it with him everywhere. It's kind of a central thing to his character. Um, but in the end, he really just gets revenge on the people who were mean to him. Yeah. And so that doesn't seem like it's really like that version of Joker I, for that reason, I find less compelling than like Heath Ledger, who truly takes that path all the way down nihilism. Like he, he burns that giant stack of money, right? Yeah. Um, he goes after the criminals as well as Batman. Like he just wants chaos in that kind of sense. And so when, you know, going back to your, your point about like in this idea of like feeding kind of this this um I, I would say just this really unhealthy appetite for destruction especially like when you have something like hurt like real hurt over something like um your social status your lack of resources yeah. and things like that feeding it to destructive ends for the sake of destruction itself especially when the only reason for that the end towards which it's directed is that these people you think are mean to you right and and it's i mean the point isn't to say that like there isn't there's there isn't a class struggle that there isn't this yeah, struggle of these kind of relationships but we deserve a better uh representation of it in terms of what it's trying to do because i mean there's two negative ways that this could be done or be seen in my opinion I'm, and there probably are more but either just caricatures those who really do genuinely want to protest absolutely and it just makes them and it feeds the narrative that it's just a violent mob or it just completely um uh, like disregards those with resources who are them trying themselves trying to do philanthropy and take away their humanity as you said yeah and so like there's a dehumanization of protesting and there's a dehumanization of the rich so this one like all the way down equally offensive i yeah. guess in some sense but um i mean there's this philosophical idea that i think is probably what it's trying to communicate and it's from this uh french philosopher named badu and he talks about the event there's always these moments that kind of bubble up and explode. And so he talks about like Arab Springs and all these different um, political things that have happened. To sure. Kind of rupture existence as it is and then reorganize it around a different locus. And there's that kind of scene at the end where everyone's kind of like celebrating the Joker and, you know, him kind of like bringing to boil Gotham, breaking it apart. 
and reorganizing it around himself is that kind of event. So in some sense, I see that as, as a very compelling interpretation, but you know, I still struggle in the same way that you do because in some sense, it just feels like a caricature of it, a bad caricature. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, all caricatures themselves are exaggerated, but this one seems to be exaggerated in the wrong sense um, for that reason. But yeah, so I mean, this this what do you make of him? Uh, well, actually, I do just want to like zero in on this joke book thing. What did you make of the joke book? Yeah, no, I didn't. I don't think I had very many thoughts about that okay. at all, really, other than <clears throat> paying attention to, again, some of the very self-destructive uh, things he was writing in there about himself and and whatever that I remember. Oh yeah. Um, and also, I mean, a host of pornography he has in the book. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, as well, that that obviously stands out a number of times when he hands it to the social worker. He seems to have no connection that that could be offensive to her as she's you know going through it, um, or even apologizing about it, acknowledging it, any you know anything. And yeah. it comes out again when he's on stage the first time. Um, so again, I think it just, you know, plays into this just very, you know, dark, uh, when the movie came out, they, uh, trending word around it was incel, which I didn't even know what that word was, but it's basically in a person who's an incel is just a very isolated, uh, person, you know, uh, going crazy or having these kind of violent fantasies or, you know, whatever, um, drawn by, drawn out by pornography and all this other mental health, you know, kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's what that represented to me, I think, that's as far as I got with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, it's an interesting thing. Like I said, I wish I would have seen more of it, and, and maybe that's not the point, but it seems to be his guiding motivations. And that's why I, I don't think yeah. you can call him a nihilist, because he definitely is motivated for something, which is revenge. Um, and maybe that's just the start of a development of his character as the Joker. But well, he definitely, yeah, and just yeah, just that deep need for attention, yeah, uh, need for uh, and you know things like belonging, acceptance, um, anything yeah. that that he's obviously been made to be desperate for as a character, yeah, you know, in this movie, yeah, and yeah. it's interesting because the like all the fantasies he has throughout the movie and rather violently and in one of the i mean I'll, I'll give it credit is one of the things the movie um does well is kind of show what it must be like for him inside of his own mind to experience his fantasy so the fantasy of um you know being murray's uh like surrogate son in some sense or to be uh, received uh, well on that stage to be in that relationship with that woman in his apartment complex you know to be loved as a son and things like that this is all very interesting inside of it and yet again like you said it just at the beginning of the podcast this isn't something that invites the person in because it's very dark you know yep. he ends up killing murray and there's that just that really really difficult scene where he breaks into the the person's apartment and you know she's terrified of him you know and it's 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 fast there's this descent into madness here that you do associate with the um the joker but with a and in some sense and you can tell me if you agree with this without some of the classic joker tropes like the chemical thing that changes the way that the audience receives it. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's interesting because it's, it's a story about mental health, but it's also the Joker. And so you're trying to be, you're trying to be uh, faithful to both accounts of what somebody experiencing this level of mental distress would be doing, but also trying to be faithful to the madness that is the Joker. Um, like you said, he's depicted as kind of this pure evil yep. figure, much like Michael Myers, um, hence the makeup and stuff like that. But, but yeah, okay. Any, mm -hmm. other, any other thoughts on stuff that stood out to you in the film? And yeah, yeah, man. Well, um, you know, I tweeted yesterday uh, the image when um, Arthur's, there's a protest happening. He's going down to whatever uh, place it is because Thomas Wayne is there at this theater uh, and they're showing, overtly show us uh, out front, they're showing a Charlie Chaplin movie called Modern Times from 1936. Uh, <clears throat> and then... Um, Arthur sneaks his way into um, the theater, and um, as he comes in, he actually walks. They show a shot from behind him, and he, as he walks forward, kind of takes the place of Charlie Chaplin in the scene that that they're in, as if to place Arthur into that movie, or as as if that movie is somehow supposed to mm -hmm. speak to you know this movie um, and Arthur himself. And so that was just a really bad idea because this is Charlie Chaplin, um, who has a great, you know, great biography in terms of uh, some of the, you know, the way Joker's portrayed in this movie. 
Uh, Charlie Chaplin actually grew up very poor. Grew up without a father. Uh, he had to. He was you know sent away to homes outside of his home a couple times as a kid. His mom was uh, put in an asylum when he was fourteen, and he you know just grew up in poverty. Um, and coming out of that, using you know uh, his ability to mime and perform and whatever, however he learned that to good use in the early years of movies, of cinema. Um, and modern times, in particular, um, is looking at, you know, classism in the Great Depression, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And industry and the way the industry, you know, literally there's a funny scene where he's literally a part of a cog going through in this oversized, you know, thing. Um, and a number of humorous things about, you know, people working and people being, you know, desperate during those times. Um, bringing a lot of humanity um, through laughter, you know, around that one. So you've got that, first of all. And then second of all, the, you know, his character is called The Tramp, and The Tramp was in uh, a whole bunch of short movies and then three or four or five, um, you know, full features that mm-hmm. Chaplin directed. He also edited them. He did everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, composed music, all of it. And so, um, but in this version, which is the first time he ever talked in a movie, which actually is, I think, sing. He sings in this one. It doesn't talk because uh, it's 1936, but he's still making making it as a silent movie, but then the points where they'll actually sing. Um, anyways, the character of the tramp um, is, you know, all about resilience, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a very hopeful kind of character uh, despite whatever kinds of, you know, barriers that he's experiencing um, in o- often a very humorous way, finding himself... Uh, in and out of situations um, in jail or in rich people's houses or, you know, any number of things. You get in a boxing match um, in a different movie, City Lights, which is uh, hilarious. Um, But ultimately, (laughs) ultimately um, proves to be the exact opposite of Arthur um, in how he's handling, you know, poverty um, and poverty around him in, you know, a decade when people, even just thinking about, why you're making a movie and who you're making it for and Mm -hmm. how during the great depression, um, making movies that will inspire people, um, and walk with them and be challenge them to continue to be resilient. And we're going to get through this together. Um, which you also see in it's a wonderful life. Um, and Chaplin's other big movie, the great dictator where he takes on Hitler basically in 1940 before we enter the war. So anyways, uh, a great example of, you know, um, what a movie can be and what mm-hmm. a narrative can be. Um, and then how, you know, movies, especially because um, this movie Joker won awards um, that year, won the big award at Venice Film Festival. Um, Parasite obviously won that year the the big Oscar. And these are just very, like, again, uh, Parasite's another movie where the poor people are killing the rich people. Um, and nobody's benefiting from anything. This doesn't benefit anybody. It's all mm-hmm. just very nihilistic. Yeah. Uh, but these are the movies we're giving awards to. Um, and for what? I mean, what is that uh, supposed to do for us? Yeah. And what are you trying to, to you know, tell us? I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I kind of want to zero in on one thing because I know that you've worked a lot with um, lower income populations mm-hmm. you know, prior to your, your current role. I mean, I guess technically college students are lower income populations in a certain sense. Uh, <laughs> sure. But, but I still live I still live in a very low income neighborhood yeah. in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah, and your wife is, is a pastor and working kind of still in that neighborhood too. And so this it's interesting. The um um the element that I, I see you talking about here that I again I want to highlight first well it's two things. First of all, like sure this is a movie about classism and kind of the struggles of people who lack resource and especially people who are dealing with mental health of who lack resources i mean I, no one needs to explain to you the the, the problems that that causes Absolutely. because you've worked with this population before and so that that is a real struggle out there in the world however um and, and you know second on that we deserve films that explore that in a way that's nuanced because one thing you can come away with this is that all poor people are just themselves or people um, without resources. I should say the more, uh, that's probably more appropriate people without resources um, themselves just are uh, wildly immoral, right? They, they will murder, they will, you know, they will do all kinds of bad things. And what you see if you work with communities um, of lower income uh, populations is, is a deep sense of community and, and goodness that is there. 
um, that I think is helpful. And so what the sure. thing we need is, is a film that can adequately express that reality um, while also, and I mean, not again, like, like the divorcing it from the need for protest, but doing it in a way that presents the true humanity of those who are experiencing these kinds of problems, mm-hmm. which again, this film doesn't do. Um, but then also the humanity of those who continue to protest, which it doesn't do. They're all behind Joker masks right. the whole time. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you, you brought up the whole, um, in some sense, like I, I also see though the interesting parallel between that and the V for Vendetta piece yeah. is that at the end you do see them unmask and you've known their stories the whole time and a lot of them have died, which is again, an interesting scene, but rabbit trail, we don't need to go on. Right. And so maybe what I'm hearing you say, and you can tell me if this captures well enough what, what you're expressing, because I think you said a lot of wonderful things, but this is my you know poor attempt to summarize it. It's all right. Um, yeah. It seems like we need, we need a film, like this is a film that attempt to express the struggles of people who struggle with mental health, um, with poverty, uh, with real economic injustice, and real systemic structures that really perpetuate um, the real hurt, suffering, and, and trauma of those who do experience those things. It tries to do that, but it ultimately fails doing that well. Mm-hmm. Because it ends up, instead of offering the humanity and, um, and the potential and the goodness of those who do go through those things. So for example, the, the woman that um, is in the same apartment complex dealing with the same kind of economic struggles as the Joker. She, sure. She's portray- portrayed as this very humane, and again, it's in a fantasy, so who knows what this woman is really like, as a real humani- human person you know, trying to do what's best for her kids, trying to do what's best for sure. Arthur. But in the end, that even is false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what we need is, is a film that can capture really the struggle and the deep humanity of those who do struggle because – what one could come away with is a really bad caricature of people who do struggle with these issues. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, in a deeply inhumane way, um, because I think and just, the, yeah, again, just like the, you know, it doesn't feel like the directors or producers or anybody in the movie, you know, has any contact at all with any real people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. part of the issue. And part of the thing people protest about, you know, systems that separate us yeah. is that we don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you've created as a writer, director, producer with this movie is that, yeah, you don't n- actually know any real people. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you're, you're lost in your own you know, multi-million dollar you oh, know, yeah. lifestyle. They, they themselves are profiting off of this no doubt. caricature. Well, this Joker movie made over a billion dollars. It's 2019 before yeah. COVID, right? And yeah. so, I mean, how, mu- <laughs> how much money did he profit off of That's you know this terrible mental health a situation you depicted yeah and it kind of reminds me of like a similar thing like on social media like the the stories that get the most like attention are the ones that are the most like extremely negative or yeah, extremely caricatured the ones that kind of like because I, again i i don't want the thing i don't want to come across this and neither kyle and i are saying this is that there isn't really that kind of like anger at the structures of the world yeah right the bent structures the kind of the the principalities and the powers and saying really exploring that right but it, this movie, it doesn't yeah. do the work that it promises to do. Right. Um, and the, the, it, it actually does more harm to the people that it's trying to adequately express. And in some sense, I, I wonder if they would have just like peeled apart the things like, and instead of trying to do all three of those stories, like tell a good story about mental health without having to try and commit to at least some of the tropes of the Joker. Yeah. Because he's only going to take you so far. And yep. there's real anger out there. And it's kind of just playing off of people's anger in some sense. And well, in some ways, you're describing Taxi Driver, right? That's right Which yeah. is, yeah, a movie that this was obviously uh, influenced by. And they do a number of the uh, finger gun to the oh, head right. yeah, yeah. Um, that you see at the end of Taxi Driver. And so, um, you know, like that movie's already been made, yeah. which is also part of the issue that mm-hmm. you're just kind of mimicking in some ways, anyways. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun at this point in time, which is why the independent scene is so important um, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I think that's such an excellent reflection. Um, yeah, is, is there anything else you wanted to add to that um, or else I'd say we Well, last thing. So, yeah, so spiritually, yeah, um, you know, I'm always looking in movies for typical spiritual uh, motifs, I guess would yeah. be the right word, uh, around uh, light and water and those kind of element elemental kind of things that express they're expressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens in both Parasite and Joker. Um, but when Joker, uh, after he meets 
Thomas Wayne, I believe, in the bathroom, they had that whole encounter. When he's back out on the street, it starts pouring the rain. Um, and he's really, and it is expressive of, like, he is definitely entering into a darker space. Mm-hmm. He's in a storm, right? Um, but a lot of times, if this is used well spiritually, you know, like, it it's all can also be a washing or a cleansing. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, baptismal. Um, in its own way. But anyway, so, you know, he goes through typical, you know, he's out in the storm and then he's in his room and it's storming outside. And then next, very next scene, he's in the hospital with his mom who's had a stroke or something. And she's in there now. Uh, and there's this glaring yellow light coming through the windows. And as a filmmaker to, you know, put the, put that kind of montage together where you have the storm and you've got this intense light coming in on Arthur and his mother. Very good. Right, that would that would potentially express some kind of transformation or healings going to happen or something like that would be typically how you would use that. But that's the scene where Arthur um, suffocates that's his right. mother. That's right. I was about to say, I was like, this is. I was yeah. like, I'm really interested to see where you're going. With right, this, I, I know. know right, <laughs> totally. So it's an inversion, right? Yeah, it's an yeah. inversion, and the same inversion with water in particular happens um, in Roma, or not Roma in uh, which is a, another issue movie, but Parasite. Uh, the way they use water there is very inverted. Yeah. Um, and and so I can go on and on about, you know, other movies that do that and don't. But yeah. uh, Joker definitely uh, was basically anti, you know, spiritual. Uh, yeah. And that's why I said, like, it's it's yep. like I remember hearing very early on that this was going to be a deep philosophical movie. And then coming out of it and saying, like, this is what it would be like if somebody who had kind of taken half a semester of intro to philosophy yeah, no doubt like because that's the thing like yep. he's not a nihilist but they want to make him out to be a nihilist but i mean in some sense that's that's indicative of the culture right right for um, sure and i that that baptismal scene is so important i think because like you do see that a lot in films are really good like one that stands out uh, man on fire with Denzel washington mm, i've not so it's a really great film he's dealing with trauma himself yeah um and he's set up as a bodyguard uh, of a young girl and um she ends up getting kidnapped in, in his watch and he kind of goes on this revenge streak, kind of John Wick-esque, you know, yeah. unlike pig, not redemptive. But <laughs> the, uh, the thing that's really great is after he kind of goes through and like takes off, like, or like kind of starts to get closer to the people who, um, you know, took the girl, he actually goes into this pool. Cause one of the features of the film is that he's teaching her how to swim. Mm. Um, and so he goes to the pool and you see these baptismal scenes of him just like immersing himself in the yeah, water every sure, time. Sure. And at the end, you do see like he's as he's driving away because in the end like they find the girl spoilers um and he basically uh the people whom he's been killing they're like listen we'll give you the girl back but we'll trade we'll give the girl to her mother and then we're gonna take you and Mm. kill you and that kind of thing and like as he's kind of driving off into the sunset the sun is kind of beating through nice the the side window for sure so it does play an important role and you have to watch for those motifs no doubt i really appreciate you seeing that one because i didn't even notice that yeah um and that's so helpful but yeah these motifs and of the spiritual kind of sense of what it means there's also that like that i mean and i mean i guess this is kind of the last thing that i have on here too is the there's these moments where he kind of like almost transcends and starts these like this dance that he's kind of caught in the world he does it right before he goes out to murray he goes there after the first time. Yeah, he for sure. Kills the guys on the subway. Um, you know, it's it's a really interesting kind of like um, depiction. But in the same sense, it's it's not like Malik where you know that there's some kind of transcendent point happening. Right. It kind of points up a little bit the first time, but like the the thing that's really interesting is the last time he does it, it's pointing out into the audience, like to the people whom he wants the right. most. And right. It's interesting to to deal with those kind of like themes spiritually sure. too. Because it's a it's a kind of it's kind of a revelation without transcendence, and I think that's a interesting kind of thing. But there's all kinds of things going on in this movie. Like I said, and I mentioned this with my Matrix review, um, the Matrix, uh, the new one, the Resurrections. Yeah. They, um, in some sense, they would have been better to pick a theme and do something mm-hmm. with that. Um, and I picked one that I thought was really cool, uh, but to pick a theme and stick with it. And in some sense, I wonder if, if they would have been better to do this, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know what that movie would have looked like. It wouldn't have been a Joker movie, I guess, but maybe just do a Joker movie, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no doubt. No, of course. Yeah. Don't try to, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Movies always communicate. And I mean, so do comic book movies. We've talked about it in here before communicate something, but there's a better way to do this. Um, that, and I think that, the the kind of angst and anger that people feel around these issues 
in this sense, there, I mean, therapy, right? There was no therapy here. It was just kind of a, a further entrenchment of the anger yep. and leading towards destructive ends. What does it mean to not sow violence in this way? Mm-hmm. Like I, that's one thing that you said that I think has just really stood out to me and in some sense helps me reevaluate the entire film and hopefully mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, are for listening sure. as well. Um, and again, yeah, the way it portrays, you know, social workers in that and just thinking even um, in the Miles Morales into the Spider-Verse, right? Like his dad being a police officer, like it complicates the narrative of police officers, right? Yeah. And so you do something there where you have to contend with things differently. You can't just go with the typical uh, pro-cop or anti-cop, you oh, know, yeah. uh, ideology, whichever side you may have picked. Hopefully you didn't pick one. Um, but a sense of like, this is, you know, this is more nuanced than, than that, oh, than yeah. the political issues, right? Um, and you can actually do something, you know, humanizing and creative with that rather than just being for or against. Yeah. And it's my understanding, too, just in terms of the Batman side, like that's kind of the role that um, Jim Gordon plays. And he will play, actually, in this new Batman sure. movie. Because in some sense, this new Batman movie is like year one where he's really Batman's also fighting the corruption in the GCPD. Right, right. But Jim Gordon has always played that role of that that police officer who's just trying to do the right yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure, of course. And it seems like, and I, I love that actor that they picked. Like, I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, for the new one? Yeah, for the new one. Yeah, who is it? Um, I knew you were going to ask That's that. That's all right, yeah. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Well, while you're looking at that, I also want to jump back to uh, Matrix Resurrections because I do think it does, in its own way, if I, <clears throat> if I were to pick a theme, it would just be Trinity and Neo's love story. Yeah. Um, and the way that that is presented at the end as they both essentially, they become the one together, which is a riff on marriage. Oh, yeah. Um, and as you're st- the final scene, like the sun is coming up and it is very, there is a still a spiritual, even though people are talking about it being much less uh, Jesus Christ than the first movie, which is, you know, overtly integrating, oh, yeah. you know, Jesus uh, metaphors into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this one is, you know, uh, much less on purpose in that way in terms of Christianity or, or Christian philosophy or theology. Yeah. Uh, but still, the end I thought was, you know, a beautiful ending yeah. for the two of them. Yeah. Uh, whatever the next thing looks like. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, I, I doubt that they're going to do another one on that, but I, I, I've always loved these movies, and so I, I, mm-hmm. I can't say that I didn't enjoy Yeah, it. they're super fun. The actor who's going to play Jim Gordon is Jeffrey Wright. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Jeffrey great. Wright. I love him a lot. I, the first movie I ever saw him in was Lady in the Water, which is an M. Night Shyamalan movie that really does not deserve the kind of yeah. um, critique that it gets. I think it's actually an excellent movie, but that's just me. Yeah, right well, on. Um, yeah, so I th- I, we've talked quite a bit here, lots to unpack. Um, is there any last words you wanted to say on Joker? Um yeah, I don't think so, man. I think we I think we covered it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot here, too. And I'm sure, you know, in the sense that, like, and again, this podcast, the point is to talk about, you know, faith, film, and mental health. Um, in this culture that we live in, the, the, the reactionary, very kind of, like, strong anger, that's, that's a bipartisan emotion, is this kind of anger that we feel in, in kind of towards the structures of the world and the way that media kind of hypes that up and, and profits off of that is something that needs to be talked about. The The film itself, and again, um, not to bash um, the emotions that people feel at the structure of the world, but to look, take a step back and say, okay, this is actually profiting off of the angst itself. Mm-hmm. This, isn't, this actually, it wouldn't want the healing of the rift because then the profit would cease. And so yeah, there's, no a sense, there's a sense in which that, you know, we, you know if, if we angered you in our interpretation of the Joker, here the, the, the point of the podcast, again, is to talk about what does it mean to live into a more, you know, healthy mental state? What does it mean to live in a more faithful um, spiritual state, Christian state, um, and these kind of things? And, and there are films that do that that we've highlighted better than. There's films that do the classism better. There's films that do the mental health piece better and the spiritual uh, stuff better you know um we've highlighted films that do that that kind of work and so we need uh better films that don't just profit off of our own anger and destruction but lead us towards healing and and new life and that kind of thing too so true uh, and uh my my own little protest of that was one to not see the movie um just based off of reading some of the things about it i've been trying to like i resist the clickbait you know on the internet sometimes i will resist some of these movies just like this one seems like there's not even like a conversation happening here. Right. Um, it's just darkness and whatever. So I avoided it. 
but even in seeing it now, I got a copy from the library so that I didn't even give it the benefit of a stream, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, on HBO Max, right? Libraries, yeah. Right. Well, and, uh, and that's, you know, kind of silly, but again, going back to that whole thing around the movie is critiquing systems that are oppressing people. And essentially, you just reinforce that system yes. <laughs> by benefiting uh, so in, you know intensely um, uh, with the movie making as much money as it did and bringing people out. Because obviously, you're going to see the Joker. If you just make a movie about a guy being crushed, you know people are not going to come see that. Right. Uh, not nearly as many, right? You're not going to make yeah. a billion dollars. You might make $100 million somehow, but not a billion dollars. Yeah. So, you know, you have to think about it from that standpoint, too. And, like, yeah. uh, whatever we can do to uh, just resist participating in this thing that is so slimy and, and clever the way it gets us to pay attention is very hard. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a – I mean, I think you, you name a really important point, like, if this was a Joker, if this wasn't a Joker movie, right? If it was just a regular movie, it wouldn't have made that much money. No way. Um, you know, it's funny you say, use the word crushed intentionally as we're heading into the Easter season. I, I think about that in terms of the crucifixion. Yeah, that's, sure. That's not as, I mean, he's not, I mean, that's, that's not a figure. That's a figure who's crushed, but that's not a figure who would uh, achieve as much kind of acclaim as this Joker character. But in a, some sense, this is also kind of a, a pushback against the, and again, I love superhero movies and I'm not like with the, uh, some of the directors like Riley, Ridley Scott, who've come out and said that they're just trash. Yeah, but, sure. But it's a call to like the companies like Disney and Warner Brothers that own these two mega properties, yeah. comic books, and says you need to use your privilege wisely, right? The stories you tell with the Joker are going to reach a huge audience, and so it matters what story you tell. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in some sense, that's I think that's just the part of what it means to be a movie lover in this time is to be um, critical. Of these things absolutely i mean still go out there and consume and you know uh this is a hard time for uh you know little art house film uh theaters so please do support those places um they're all around you you may not see them Mm -hmm. um you know try and support the independent movies too you know this is this is again this is a tough time for hollywood right now and uh by that i mean the independent scene um obviously it's not a tough time for disney that just made like two million dollars on spider-man so uh, not that, but it's a, it's a tough time for those little independent um, art houses. So go out there and support them and things like that. We um, obviously love the work that they do, and so um, please do that. Um, any final thoughts as we kind of close off here about um, where we're heading, that kind of stuff, or the, even the Joker, if you want to pull something else in there? Yeah, no, only um, the the very last scene, him in the hallway after he killed the social worker, yeah. is again another um, you know overwhelming yellow light coming in that's inverted for him to uh, there when he's, I think he's trying to escape, but he's got blood all over his feet and, and whatever. It's just ugly. Um, Which again, is another, another inversion. But anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, hopeful that, you know, if, if our next movie, we talk about hunger um, or dig into some of these other things, hunger is a good, you know, much better spiritual account of a man who's very uh, empowered, politically empowered within himself. He's in prison. Uh, he's a political prisoner, uh, but is trying to, you know, live by his values mm-hmm. uh, and and be empowered and, and whatever, and it has spiritual consequences for him. Yeah. So it's a very interesting uh, contrast again to what we've just seen, I believe. Yeah. So we'll look forward to that, and that's a that's a great place to kind of uh, wrap up today. As Kyle mentioned, uh, we'll be back together in February, um, probably mid-February, uh, just due to um, our institution has a pretty significant break there at the end. And so we'll probably be together talking about hunger um, in mid-February. Um, look for our uh, collab on, um, on uh, Licorice Pizza, which is out in theaters now. Feel free to go out and see that. There's also Nightmare, Nightmare Alley is a good one out right now. And um, there's a few others out as well so look for um, that collab going forward um, but that's really that's really it that we've got coming out so um, look for some other stuff and some announcements keep an eye on our twitter page we might see some um, other films or uh, MacGuffins coming out that um, we might want to cover but looking into the summer we're also going to be covering um, uh, the passion of Joan of Arc as we reach Easter season um, we've got another, um, we got our Malik kind of duke out here coming in mm-hmm, a bit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have a request to cover the movie Hereditary. And so 
uh, look for any of that stuff. Um, we're we're gonna post some stuff weekly, either it's individual or couple or, or us together. Mostly, the stuff we'll do together is once a month. So just be looking for our uh, our stuff coming out. Check, keep an eye on Twitter, and we'll keep you updated. But if you have stuff you want us to cover, please yet again don't don't hesitate. Reach out to either Kyle um, or myself. You can reach uh, Kyle at, at Cinema1978 and me at Duke. 13th Theo, or you can just reach out to our Art House Road show, Twitter handle Art House Road. Um, but anyway, be well, stay safe. Um, hope you're doing well this season as uh, we are all trying to stay warm here in the north or you are with loved ones this season. But God bless you and we'll see you next time. Later. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Road Show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>